Thank you, Michael and Carrie. We uh, are so privileged that they could uh, be here to worship with us this morning. They traveled all the way down from the, uh, that northern city of Edmonton. And you can tell it's going to be a cold winter this year because you just have to look at Michael's beard to know that uh, it's going to be a harsh winter. Our missionaries to Edmonton, thank you. Speaking of uh, missionaries, we have a special guest this morning. And uh, he is from Calgary here. His, his parents pastor a church here in the city. And um, he spent much of his years growing up here in the city. And um, he too has a beard, but it's a little bit less than Michael's because he comes from a much warmer place most of the year. And we'll soon be heading back there. Uh, Jordan Dobush uh, from uh, working in Malawi, uh, bridges to Malawi, working with the kids and people there, doing a wonderful work for our Lord and Savior. And uh, please uh, join me in welcoming Jordan as he comes to share what God has laid on his heart this morning. Good morning. It's so great to be here with you again this morning. Um, changed my message for this weekend because there's something special about this weekend. And the Americans will celebrate it next month, but we celebrate it now because our harvest is just coming in. Who knows what that special day is? Thanksgiving. Does anybody remember? I know. But it's thanks. Sorry, I, I'll, I'll get louder right away. Do I not step forward? It's better if I stay back here? All right. This is my line. I want <laughs> so it's Thanksgiving Sunday, and I wanted to just change my message. In the previous nine weeks, I've been in a different church every, every weekend, and I've been speaking about praying in faith. But I thought, being Thanksgiving weekend, I want to give thanks for what God has done in my life over the next year, and I want, or over the last year, and I want to just walk you through that. Um, so we can probably start with that, uh, with that presentation there. But I'll, yeah, let's just leave it there for a little bit. Last year, I was here and I shared with you how Malawi experienced ridiculous floods. We got four, four months of rain in about two weeks, and then nothing, and flooding left 300,000 people homeless, but God provided, and we were able to reach out to these communities, and I came back, I came to Canada last year, did, did my fundraising, it was a fantastic year last year, and I, I was, there was more money came in than I expected, and that was just, that was brilliant, God, God really provided there, and I went back to Malawi, and I began a journey of I should say, I almost want to say mourning and sorrow because it was a really hard year. But I'm reminded this morning that Psalms 100 says, "Enter into his court or enter into his gates with thanksgiving in your hearts, and into his courts with into his courts with praise." praise. I've got one person here who knows their Bible. Anybody else? Enter his courts with praise. praise. So we've just blessed God for what he's done, and I'm going to do a little bit more of that this morning. But I want, to, I want to explain to you how I got to the point where I got to this last year. Went to Malawi. A few, few weeks after arriving, I'd been, well, I'd been up and down the escarpment into the village and checking on things there, making sure kids were in school and everything was going well. And I got a phone call 
on a Monday on a well on a Sunday night, and it was one of it was the project manager down in the village, and he said, "Boss, you need to come tomorrow." I said, "Well, I was planning on it anyway, but what what's going on?" He says, "One of the kids has died." And young boy, he's 16 years old. His name was Edward. He went to the market on Saturday to do his regular market shopping. And now Edward had been complaining about headaches for years, and the doctors kept telling him he had migraines. And I get migraine headaches every couple weeks, so I totally could totally relate to Edward. We got him a scan, and nothing didn't show anything. But Edward suffered a brain aneurysm at 16 years old and died in the clinic later on Sunday morning. It was devastating for, for our, whole, our whole village. Edward was one of those guys that helped all the younger kids. So Monday morning, gathered my ministry crew together, and we went down to celebrate Edward's life and mourn his loss. And beautiful, beautiful funeral. Then began even more hardship. Our rainy season is supposed to start in Malawi in November. End of November until about the end of April, it's supposed to rain. And all the farmers in the country count on these annual rains, and then we get some smaller ones later on in the year that we plant different crops. November, it rained a couple days. All the farmers got their seeds into their ground. Then nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, you have to understand, September through November average between 35 and 40 degrees Celsius, and on a really bad day, between 45 and 50 degrees. I don't know if you've ever been in 45 and 50 degrees Celsius, but if you put an egg on the ground, it will cook. You don't even have to put it on cement. You can put it on dirt, and it will cook, because the reflection of the heat is just that much. So you can imagine what happens to a vegetable garden when the ground is that hot. You don't even have to cook your food. It's cooked right on the ground for you. But unfortunately, before anybody can harvest it. So gardens were dying all over the country without this rain. The maize, that is the staple crop for Malawi, got about this tall, didn't produce any fruit, and died in the field all across the country. The few people that had irrigation schemes were able to, to get food. And the price of a bag of maize, a 100-pound bag of maize, went from 5,000 kwacha, which at the time was approximately $8, up to 15,000 kwacha, which is $24. Now consider this. Minimum wage in Malawi is the Canadian equivalent of, hang on, do the math, $36 a month. Can you imagine surviving on $36 a month and your staple food is going to cost you $24? It leaves people in a desperate situation. Price went up even further because people were withholding maize because they were scared they weren't going to make it through the season. The government was trying to get in maize from Zambia, but Zambia had already declared a food crisis the previous Easter. All of Southern Africa was suffering this last year. We prayed. God provided. Our food budget had to go up. We had to spend more on food in the first few months than we anticipated. 
But we made it to December, and we thought, okay, maybe the rains are coming in December. We got one week of rain, so people invested what little money they had into more seeds to try again. And that was it for the rain. So we had a few days in November, one week in December, and up to now, it still has not rained. The amount, to, to put this into perspective, our power company shuts off the power for 18 to 20 hours a day because there's not enough water in the river to generate electricity for the country. So you try running a business with no electricity. Get this, they turn on the electricity from midnight to 5 a.m. Nobody does business from midnight to 5 a.m. But they're on for security lights. And because the electricity is shut off, the water is shut off. The water company can't pump without electricity. So we have water from midnight to 5 a.m. You do your bathing, your washing, everything at those times, and you collect enough water to make it through to the next night. If you are blessed enough to have a well in your yard, you can pump up water and use that, and your neighbors all line up outside your gate to come and get water for the day. So there's a little bit of pressure. I pushed through November, through December, and then something happened. I don't, I don't know how it happened, but in my head, something switched off. I got totally and completely emotionally burnt out. You can imagine what happens when you're constantly giving and giving and giving and pouring out. God is faithful. He puts back in. But sometimes, as missionaries, we forget why we're there. We're not just there to work. We're there to serve God. And when you don't take time to hear what God wants you to do, you can forget the purpose of what you're doing and get burnt out. So January, I sat down with my pastor and I said, something's wrong with me. I can't, I can't get frustrated at situations. I can't get happy with celebrations. I'm totally fried. Now I knew I had to work for the next few months. I couldn't actually take holiday until April. I had taken on extra jobs because we had spent so much money in the first few few months on food. I need to come up I need I needed to come up with extra money. So I began to open a bakery and operate out of my kitchen. I was running that on a generator power and cooking bread and selling it at schools and selling cakes online and hosting dinners. I would host dinners for people in the city and they would come in and have dinner for $12 and that was great. These are, these are the city folk and I thought, let me get the money out of the hands of the city folk and get food to look after the people in the village. It worked, but I was tired. I don't even remember February and March because I was just going through the motions going through life. I do remember put, arranging for a borehole to be drilled at our campus. That was great. Went in. I'd been waiting for three years for that to happen. But I couldn't even be happy over the fact that we had hit water after days of drilling. And it got harder and harder. I led worship Easter Sunday morning in the church. Glorious service. It was just presence of God was there. It was beautiful. And after the service, I walked up to the pastor. We had two services that morning. Walked to the pastor after the second service, and I gave him my keys to the church. 
And I said, I can't do this anymore. And he said, are you saying what I think you're saying? I said, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm so tired. I don't even, I said, something's got to give. And he said, well, take off the month of April. I said, okay. So I took off April from leading worship at church, from choir rehearsal, from cooking dinner for the choir. I shut down my fundraising for the month of April. Still kept the operations in the village going so the kids would be looked after. And I called up a couple of my friends and I said, guys, you know what I'm going through. We need to do something. I said, let's, let's go up north. I've never seen the north of Malawi. So we took two weeks and we went up north. And I think I slept for the first week of that. I'd get up and make dinner for everybody, for, or for the two guys and myself. They'd clean the dishes and I'd go back to bed. And I remember laying in my tent and saying, God, this can't be the, this can't be the end of it. You, you haven't said to me, it's time to go home. You haven't said to me, your work is done. This, this can't be how it finishes. But I've been so tired, I'm not even hearing your voice, so I don't even know at this point if I'm doing what you want me to do. So would you just help me? And I went back to sleep. And I woke in the middle of the night and God said, what are you thankful for? And I said, well, we got the borehole done. He said, keep going. There's an old song we sing in the church. Um, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Anybody know the next bit? What do you do? You, you count your blessings. You count your blessings. And so I actually began to make a list. I want to take you through a little bit of that this morning, what God has done for me. Let's start. So I am thankful for the next slide. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Well, you'll figure it out. My whole sermon is based on these photos. <laughs> so, I began, to, I began to count my blessings. First of all was the borehole. Second of all was school fees. One of the biggest challenges that we have is paying school fees for 350 children. That's a lot of kids. And I had written several newsletters home and couldn't raise it. This is, yeah, let's leave it here for a second. So one of the banks came to one of our fundraisers. We set up this table at fairs all over the city. Every time a school has a fair, we sell stuff. I spend the whole day baking. 
Um, one of the fellows who has learned in the, who grew up in the orphan care program has learned how to sew, and he makes things, aprons and bags, and we sell these. Um, so we do, these, we do these fundraisers. And one of the banks in town saw us at these fundraisers, and they said, can you give us more information? So I did, and they gave us enough money to pay for the school fees for the next semester for the kids. That works out to about... $3,700. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And now you think for 350 kids, that really that, that doesn't sound like a, a lot. But when you are trying to count every penny, that's a lot of money. And it was taken care of. God is so faithful. So I am thankful for venues that I can get into. Thank you for opportunities. Most people do not who go to these fairs, who operate tables, don't have a charity. They do it to earn money for their pockets, and they have to pay about $10 for this table. No, $15 for this table to set up. We got it for free because we're looking after orphans in the country. I was thankful for that. In addition to that, the people on the table next to us never showed up, so we spread out and had two tables and were able to just put even more stuff on. That was exciting. Let's go to the next, the next slide. I am thankful for fruit, for harvest. Now, you don't really see a garden going on here, but the harvest I'm talking about, this fellow on the right, his name is Lawrence. Lawrence came to me when he was 15 years old. He's now 22, but he came to me when he was 15 years old. His father had died. His mother, well, his stepmother didn't want him anymore, so he was sent to live with his biological mother, who had no means of paying for his school fees whatsoever. So he, said, he came and said, can you help me? I said, sure. Let me see your school report so we can see where you're at. He's actually a really smart kid. So we got him into boarding school. He graduated from high school, got into Malamulo College of Health Sciences. Lawrence is now studying in his second year of medicine to be a doctor. I am thankful for what God is doing in the lives of kids. You know when you, you pour out so much of your life for, for nine years, and it's like, when am I going to see something come out of this? These are first fruits. And I'm excited because when you have first fruits that are this good, you know the end of the harvest is going to be amazing. I'm thankful for ingenuity. God has blessed me with some creativity. And I'm, I'm not saying that to boast because not, none of this is, is something I would have come up on my, with on my own. The whole plan for this orphan care program that I'm doing in Malawi, God gave me in a dream one night. I studied theology. I didn't study orphan care. I didn't study, I didn't study social work. I didn't study vocational or teaching vocational training to, to students. And God gave me a dream one night for an orphan care program giving orphans vocational skills. And I said, how do I start that? God said, just feed them. And out of a feeding program, I've got this. On the top right, does anybody know what that is on the top right? It looks like a manger, but it's not. It's a, it's a top bar beehive. Beekeeping in Malawi is done on top bar hives, not on Langstroth hives. That, so you don't take out the frame and open it and spin it. You actually harvest the whole comb. So... I've started beekeeping, 
and I'm teaching beekeeping to some of these students that have graduated from high school. With beekeeping skills, you can collect honey, sell honey in town. These kids can make a living. With the wax, I've taught them how to make fire starters that they can sell on the market, environmentally friendly fire starters. In Malawi, they love to burn plastic bags. It makes your food taste gross. We use beeswax to make fire starters. And honey. Honey is used for wounds. It's better than polysporin. It's amazing stuff. So we've got all of this going on now, and God has blessed me with just listening to him and saying, here, do this next. I, I thank God for funny circumstances. That picture of me with the guitar I'm sitting on the back of a pickup truck going down a road because there wasn't enough room in my car for all the, for all the, the um, ministry team. So I sent the car with, with my friend who drove the ministry team home and I hopped on the back of a pickup truck and we just sang God's praises on the back of the truck on the way home. That was, I'm thankful for those opportunities. Next page. I'm thankful... For a garden. And I'm thankful that God provides in the midst of drought. This garden is being grown without rain. We do a farming method called farming God's way. And we, we don't turn over the soil. We just plant what we need. And we put back into the soil by mulching. The mulch also keeps down the evaporation. We were able to harvest and feed ourselves through this whole whole time taking a little bit of water from our borehole and watering this garden manually. Now these vegetables look a little wilted because it's late in the afternoon and the sun's been on them the whole time, but by morning they look a lot better. Next page. There's more of the garden there. You can see uh, we've got some beans growing on the left. Bottom right we've got um, papaya and moringa. I'm thankful for God for looking after our garden. On the top right that's Christmas. Every kid in our, in our program received that for Christmas presents in addition to a bucket. I am thankful for simplicity. Can you imagine giving a bucket, a container, a cup, some beads or marbles and a water bottle to a kid in Canada and having them happy at Christmas? I'm not talking just, oh, thank you very much, happy. I'm talking like dancing and singing happy. Try that, giving that to your kids. See what they tell you for Christmas. <laughs> I'm thankful for thankful hearts. It was such a blessing to celebrate Christmas with these kids. They just loved it. Next page. I'm thankful for God providing. Three years ago, I bought three female goats and one male goat. Today... I have 27 goats in three years. In addition to that, I've eaten, well, we, we, not me personally, but I shared it with the kids. We celebrated various things. We ate eight goats. So in three years, 35 goats. That's a lot. But when your goats keep having twins, and they give birth to girls who keep having twins, it multiplies. We only eat the males. So we had eight males. We ate them. They get smelly when they get older. You, ca <laughs> you castrate them when they're younger, they get bigger, and then you eat them when they're big. 
God has blessed us. The reason they're kept up top in that stable up there, in the morning when the goats go out, somebody goes underneath, sweeps up all the droppings, that goes into the compost. I taught our, our community how to garden 100% organically. One of the biggest costs for a Malawian family is fertilizer. Um, the average Malawian family will spend over $100 a year just on fertilizer for their garden. And you're not guaranteed a harvest if there's no rain. So I have been teaching our community how to fertilize organically, how to use organic pesticides so we haven't got chemicals going back into the thing. Praise God for Google. I didn't know that the trees that grow on our campus are are a natural pesticide. I knew they were great for treating malaria. A neem tree. Neem is native to India, but it was brought over to Africa. Grows everywhere. We make tea, a big, huge pot of tea out of these neem leaves, cool it down, mix it with water, spray it on the garden. And let let me explain how effective this is. For the last seven years, every year, no fail, grasshoppers come in and they devastate our garden every January. We just stopped planting in November because we're like, there's no point. This year they didn't get any. (laughs) All our neighbors who were using the the chemical pesticides, it's like salad dressing for the grasshoppers. They just come in and devour everything. They wouldn't touch our stuff. Thank God for Google. Next page. I thank God for provision. Remember when I told you we got that one week of rain in December? That's what happened to my road. It hadn't been repaired properly after the flood. What they had done is they had put concrete, and that space under where it had fallen down, they filled it with soil. Well, when a river comes over just soil, it washes it away and the concrete drops, and you can't drive over that anymore. There was a young lady came over from Korea to be a missionary and she had, she was celebrating her birthday in Malawi and she put on Facebook for her friends in Korea, instead of sending me birthday presents, would you take the cost of a cup of coffee and donate it because I want to buy food for African children. She gave us uh, 42,000 kilograms of maize to donate, like donated to the kids. So here I am, that's my, the, the, I've got 1,000 kilos in there, and I've got to get it over that road. Well, bless God for networking. We packed it off by hand, put it on another truck, and sent it over the other side. God provided. So here I am, you have to, under, you have to understand, this might not seem major to you. I'm suffering complete burnout, completely, I'm completely exhausted, I'm thinking my ministry is over and I'm, I'm in a tent at night and God is simply saying, count your blessings. And I'm going through this. Next page. I thank God for kids. I thank God for their smiles. I thank God for their songs. When you feel like you don't have any hope, when you feel like everything you've done just isn't worth doing anymore and kids get together and they have fun and they sing and they come up to you and say thank you thank you for a simple thing like 
giving me paper so I can make a hat. That's huge. So I thank God for the opportunities like this to put smiles on kids' faces. I thank God for, how do I say it? For the privilege of being a part of protecting a child. The little girl on the left, she's not a white kid. She's an African kid, but she's albino. So that's, yeah, she stands out quite a bit. In Malawi, in the last two years, albinos are hunted for body parts. It used to just be that people would dig up their graves and sell their body parts to the witch doctors. Well, all the graves have been dug up. So now they're murdered, they're cut up into pieces, and their parts are sold all across East Africa and into Asia. One of the hardest things is to protect people. A little child like this is in danger everywhere she goes. We keep a very close watch on her. If she doesn't show up for lunch on time, we're all over it. Talking to her friends, when is she coming? She's with her mom. They've gone to visit her uncle. Okay. We always know where she is. I thank God for the privilege of being a part of looking after a kid, letting them know that they are loved, that they are valuable, not valuable for their body parts, but valuable because Jesus died for them, valuable because God loves them, valuable because they are precious in God's sight. It is such a privilege and an honor to be a part of that. And I have to say thank you, Lord, for letting me be a part of that. The girl on the bottom right, her name is Maria. She's been blind from birth. That girl was the angriest kid I ever met. Always getting into fights, always just getting into scraps. That kid found Jesus, and I had the privilege of baptizing her um, two years ago. You don't hear her fighting anymore. You don't hear her screaming at some kid when she's coming for lunch. You hear the high praises of God coming out of her mouth when she comes to eat lunch. It's beautiful. Now when we get together for worship on Saturdays, I give her a drum. She had three strokes by the time she was five years old and her right arm is paralyzed to this day. But man, can she drum with that left hand. And she drums and she sings about the love of God on her life. What an honor to be a part of that. Next one. Enough said. I thank God for that. I get more hugs than most parents will ever get in their whole life. I've got a lot of kids. I love it. Let's go on. Again, this is first fruits. I thank God for that. This young man, Lemson, when, when I met him, he was 14 years old. He had never been to school. He was a slave in the chief's house because he was the chief's nephew. He wasn't allowed to go to school. He had to do all the cooking, all the cleaning. He had to go to the garden. He had to repair the house. Couldn't even read. 14 years old, couldn't read. We sat down with the chief and we said, this isn't acceptable. 
So we took on the financial responsibility of looking after Lemson, got him into school. Can you imagine being in grade one at 14 years old and going and learning how to read? It was really hard for him, but he went every day. He learned how to read. By the time he got to grade three, he just said, boss, please, I can't do this anymore. It's really difficult. I said, I understand. Is it the studies that are difficult? He said, no, it's the fact that I'm the oldest in the class always. I said, okay, what do you want to do with your life? I said, because you know, when you start school at, at 14, you're not going to be done until you're in your 30s. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to become a tailor. So we found a tailor to teach him how to, how to become a tailor. Lemson now finished that course. We bought him one of those treadle singer sewing machines, you know, the ones my, grandma, my grandmother had one. They still make them. They just don't send the new ones here. They send them over to Malawi and places like that. And Lemson sits there every day, working his foot and sewing. There's a few things in the foyer there that Lemson made. Most of them have already been sold, but there's a few left. These handbags were some of the first of things he made. We now sell Lemson's products in South Africa, in the UK, here in Canada, and in the States. That kid gets 10% commission off of everything that's sold, and the rest goes into the feeding program. That's a lot of money. He went and got himself a wife, had a couple of kids, got a house, furnished that house. A guy who at 14 years of age couldn't even read is now self-sufficient. I thank God for the opportunity to be a part of that. Next. There's again another one of our setups, but you can see more things that Lemson has made. He's made table runners and aprons and handbags. The right table is mine. Cinnamon buns and pizza pretzels and tangerine chiffon cakes and brownies. And I do a lot of baking. That's how I support myself. But <laughs> yeah, come on over to Malawi. I'll teach you how to be self-sufficient. <laughs> God is just, he's an amazing God. And he gives opportunities and all we have to do is take a hold of them. Next page. On the left, that's a hard day's work right there. On the right, just some smiling faces. I thank God for that opportunity all the time. Next page. Teaching kids how to color. Schools in Malawi, they don't have crayons. They very rarely have paper. You have to get your own school book from the, from the market. They don't have any art classes at all. They don't have music classes. Everything that they teach is purely academic. That's it. Kids who learn music and art do so much better in academics than kids who don't. So every Saturday, we provide crayons. And after the Bible story, the kids can color a, a picture having to do with the Bible story, but they can also design their own pictures. Here, these kids are writing a thank you card to some children in Victoria who sent them some money earlier this year. Two years ago, these kids didn't know how to draw. I wish I had a picture of the final product. It was amazing. This is just the beginning of it, but we did two big poster boards. Kids all signed it and drew pictures. Being a part of that, 
It's wonderful. Next page. Homemade pasta, just letting you know. <laughs> I make pasta. The, the reason it's orange, I made sweet potato flour. I took the potatoes, sweet potatoes, turned them into flour, made pasta out of that. And there's a fundraising dinner. Those are all people who pay money to come and eat our food. And I can raise about $300 in one go to feed the kids. I thank God for his gifts. I thank God for creativity. I thank God that when it seems like there's no way to go forward because there's no money in the bank, he says, hey, why don't you try this? And he drops an idea in my heart. One Friday, I want to tell you how this started. One Friday, I knew I needed to buy food on Monday, but we didn't have any money. Like, no money at all. And I knew I had some food in my freezer and some vegetables in my garden. So I sent out a text message on WhatsApp. I said, would anybody like to come for dinner? This is the cost. This is what the menu is. I made, um, I made this pasta, some chicken to go on top of it, cheese sauce and all sorts of stuff, vegetables, right? and it was brilliant. Now I do that every two weeks. I thank God for creativity. Next up. I thank God for his faithfulness. For three years, we had been praying for a borehole. Um, fellow passed away last year who was a great encouragement to me. Used to meet him every time I came back to Calgary and we'd sit and we'd talk and he had a big heart for missions. This guy could fundraise like nobody's business. He was never scared to ask for money for the ministry. And when he passed away, his wife gave me, came up to me, she says, how much will that borehole cost? And I told her, and she gave me a check for $12,000. The borehole itself was $8,000. Then we got solar panels and batteries, got, it, got the pipes. There's the borehole just before we hooked everything up to it. I thank God for provision and in perfect time because now that there's a drought, that borehole means life to our campus. It means life to our garden. God is very faithful. I thank God for friends and ministry partners. This is my ministry team. Week after week, we go out. There used to be one more fellow. He passed away this, this, uh, this year. But these are people who I can count on to pray with me when we need to get away I, I took them up, them up Zomba Mountain just to say thank you for all your help for the last year. We went on a hike. We had an amazing time. But I thank God for friends, for ministry partners, for prayer partners. I thank God for the people he brings into my life to help me keep going. Next. I thank God for, for provision again. There's a bit of my garden up top. My first attempt at making a cake with decorated. I sold that thing for $50. Can you imagine somebody in Africa paying $50 for a cake, but somebody wanted a cake for tea, and I had to use a generator on my oven, and so I did it. Chocolate mint cake. My garden, my organic garden, there's pumpkins growing up the fence. Next one. All right. 
So I got back from my camping trip in April, totally refreshed, my heart once again dreaming of the good things that God had in store. And I went to go meet one of the ministry team members. His name is James. He's on the left here. He wasn't looking very good. He had lost a lot of weight. And I said, James, are you all right? He said, no. Well, you know I've got ulcers. I said, yeah, the, the doctor, you, you said the doctor said you had ulcers. I said, but we helped you get on a diet that should be helping them to get better. Something wrong here. I said, can I take you back to the, another doctor? Yeah. Took him to a doctor, referred him to a specialist. While waiting to see the specialist, I ended up having to take him to hospital because he was in so much pain. His stomach was all totally bloated. He was a fit guy, so to see his stomach out like that. They took an x-ray of him, and I was standing next to the doctor, and I'm looking at this x-ray, I'm like, no, this can't be possible. And I turned to James, I said, James, when was the last time you went to the bathroom? He said, about a month ago. He had been constipated for a month and hadn't said anything to anybody because he was embarrassed to say it. You could see it blocked just like this on an x-ray. They tried flushing him out, wouldn't move. So James went to the theater, not the movie theater, the operating theater, and they opened him up and they found the reason for the blockage was James had a tumor about that big blocking his intestines. They removed the tumor. They found his lymph nodes were, were touched. James had fourth stage colorectal cancer, 34 years old. Her tumor was removed, lymph nodes were removed. They got him stitched back together. Things were working properly. Discharged him. He went home. Three days later, I got a call at 3 o'clock in the morning. I need to go to the hospital. Took him back to the hospital. The surgery site inside had ruptured, had torn apart, and he was leaking into his abdomen. So they opened him up a second time, cleaned him out, found that his bowel had started to necrotize. So they cut out the next damaged put him on a colostomy. A few days later, he was in the theater again, having more necrotized bowel removed. Four surgeries in two weeks. When I took him to a hospital the second time, I was sitting next to his bed in the emergency ward, holding his hand and praying for him. And when I pray, I like to listen to what, what God has to say so I can pray effectively. And so I prayed and I stopped to listen and God very clearly said, Jordan, James is not going home this time. And I got really mad. And I said, God, how can you tell me that? How am I supposed to pray in faith for my friend? How am I supposed to pray in faith for my, minis- for my ministry partner? How am I supposed to believe for good things if you have told me he's not going home? And God said, you'll, you'll see later but I want you to pray in faith. Keep encouraging him and encourage his family. I said, how am I supposed to encourage his family and him when I know he's not leaving here? He said, 
you encourage his family. James was not getting along with his dad. He hadn't for several years. He was angry because his dad got a job in Rwanda. He was doing very well, very successful, but he never saw his dad, maybe once every two years. And he was really upset about that. He was upset at his mom because his mom had gotten hooked, hooked into a church with, headed up by some crazy prophet, not even a biblical prophet, just somebody who would say ridiculous things and take money from people. And he couldn't convince her to get out of that church. So, two weeks after going into hospital, James' dad came back from Rwanda. Initially, he wasn't going to come back. But James' friend phoned him up and said, you need to come. So, his dad came back. And I watched over the next two weeks as God began to heal a relationship that was torn apart. I was able to sit with his family every single day, pray with James, pray with them, and I watched as his relationship with his mom began to be healed. I watched as she began to become aware of the lies that that other church was telling her, and she began to cling on to the promises of God in a biblical fashion. I brought in the choir from the church who is also, most of the members are my ministry team members down in the village. We stood around James' bed and we sang and we prayed and we sang. We sang so loud people thought that we were having a full church service in, the, in that room. The next morning, two-thirds of the hospital was discharged, having suddenly, miraculously, nothing wrong with them anymore. James wasn't, was still on his bed. And I remember talking to God and saying, what's with that? We're here praying for him. I said, I, I remember what you said, but what's going on? He said, Jordan, I'm going to get glory out of this. People were coming to hear the good news of Jesus Christ because James was in hospital. I remember there were some nights I would sleep on the floor next to his bed so his family could get some rest. And he would be talking, and I thought at first he was talking to me. Then I realized he wasn't talking to me, so I thought, oh, maybe he's talking to one of the nurses who's come to check on him on the night. And I opened my eyes, and I looked under the bed. There was no other feet in the room, so I'm thinking, who is this guy talking to? I said, James, are you talking to me? And he just would smile. He says, no, there's a couple of angels sitting on the end of the bed and we're just having a conversation. A few days later, same thing happened. I said, James, are you talking to me? He said, no. Jesus is here and we're working some things out. I had to go out of town for the weekend get some stuff from another city. There was no other day I could do it. And I remember I, I phoned and I, I called him up and said, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm having trouble breathing, but I'm okay. I said, all right, I'll be, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll, I'll see you when I get back. He said, yep, no problem. He said, I'm happy now. I said, well, that's good. I said, but I want you to rest. Just 
focus on breathing and just get some rest. He passed away 10 minutes before I got back to the hospital. His last conversation with our friend, um, Bowlin. Bowlin was in the hospital every single day with him throughout the night. I mean, I, I sent Bowlin home on a couple occasions. He'd go get some sleep. But they were talking just before he died. And he said, It's okay. The anger is gone. The hurt is gone. Jesus and I have worked it out. And it's all good. And he died. Like, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. A family was healed. People in the hospital around him were healed. James, his body wasn't healed. But his heart and his soul were mended. And he could die and say, it is well. It was beautiful. The funeral was incredible. There was heads of political parties at this funeral. People were saying, who was this guy? I said, oh, he... Just a friend of mine. No, 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 no. He must have been some rich businessman. I said, no, he sold clothes in the market and didn't, he didn't have a lot of money. No, 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 that can't be right. James was related to some people who had come to pray for him and his story touched them and so the heads of political parties were at his, at his funeral. It was like going to a state funeral. I thank God for the privilege of working with somebody like James throughout his whole sickness. I remember waking up when he had come out of theater and um, his family was crying and praying and he was in pain and they couldn't give him any more painkillers because he was still kind of under anesthetic. And I sat and I just started rubbing his head and I said, James, I want you just to breathe. And he'd say, Jordan, don't go anywhere. I said, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. And I turned to his family. I said, you can stop making all the noise. He's, he's okay. And as soon as they quieted down, he quieted down. And God's presence came into that room and just reminded them that it's all okay. They went home for the night. I stayed with him. And I went to shut off the light in the room so we could get some sleep. He said, oh, no, no, leave the light on. I said, well, you need to sleep. We're going to shut off the light. I said, are you scared? He said, no. I said, okay. Why aren't you scared? He said, well, God's here. I said, how do you know he's here? He said, because he told me. Through his whole, through his whole sickness, completely confident that God was in control. I thank God for the opportunity of being a part of that guy's life. The fellow on the right, he's Bowlin. James and Bowlin were best friends. Bowlin knows Jesus Christ today because of James and is studying to be a missionary in Bible college. James had affected, his life had affected so many people. And we were doing one of our fundraiser dinners after James died and one of my team members said, you know, I'm still a little bit mad. I said, well, what are you mad about? Well, James had so much ahead of him. He had, he had so much coming still. He died too early. I said, did he? I said, God takes us when he when it's time to go. He calls us home at a specific time when his work is finished in us. I said, I don't know about you, but 
if God's work is completed in me, he has no more plans on this earth for me, no more purpose for me, I don't want to stay. If my purpose is done, if God's will has been accomplished for my life, what more have I got to stay around for? I said, I don't know about you, but I'm really stubborn. I learn slow. I'm probably one of those people God is going to keep around until I'm 150. James loved the Lord and at 34 was called home. And his legacy is a whole bunch of kids that know Jesus Christ because every Saturday he sat and he discussed their Sunday school, well, their kids' church lesson with them. He led them to Jesus Christ. He prayed with them. When they were scared because at night, shadows would come and attack them in their beds. And I'm, talk, I'm not talking like just a regular shadow. I'm talking witchcraft. James would pray with them and teach them how to declare to those things to leave them alone in the name of Jesus. James' legacy is incredible. And I thank God for, for that. I thank God for a friend that at my hardest time, could be there encouraging me and praying for me. I thank God for an opportunity to be, something, be part of something that is still growing to this day. I'm thankful this Sunday for so much. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to share with you. That's my testimony to you. That's what I'm thankful for. I encourage you this weekend when you meet with your families, count your blessings. And you will find that the storms that you are going through aren't quite as big. The waves aren't as big. The lightning and thunder aren't as loud and as scary. There is a peace that comes when we count our blessings. There is a restoration for our soul that comes when we count our blessings. So here you are today in God's courts. Enter in with thanksgiving and with praise. That's all I have to say. I'm going to leave you with a quick video. Um, young man who I met when he was 10 years old. Now, when they did this video, I wasn't there. I, didn't, I had no idea what was going to be said. Um, the fellow who made the video used to be an atheist. I prayed for him. He got healed of Crohn's disease and accepted Jesus Christ. And every year to say thank you, he does one of these videos for me. But he says, can I interview one of the kids to tell their story? I said, yeah, sure. I said, I won't be there because I, I don't want them to feel pressure. So I, when, when I saw the video, I had to cry because he said thank you. It was just a blessing to my heart. So even though it's been a crazy year, God has done all of this and lifted me up. I thank him for that. Let's, uh, let's take a look. Kumbwa 
kina kuonaka lwa kidzwa odimene mukuti ndili nzaka kiteni Nabezela kumwa olo wa mukidzo wadi mene mukuri afumu abodza ataranisa magolo kuti auze kuti pali nzungu wina mene afuna kutsegura ofanage uratandize ana amasiye ndovutika kwambili chifukwa imand pasa zakuja skufizi zovala ndi malo ogona ndikadwalanso kidzodi imapeleka thandizo yamankhwala kuchipatala zimene ndakhandikwa ndakukokhedzwa kuti ndikuthokoza Jordan Dobush palimenezi ndipo ndikupempa kuti asasiye afikirenso kwa anthu ena akuzisowa komanso asasile pamba apitilize palimenezi ndikupempa mugungu andalise ndikumpasa mwe wa utali Joseph is one of many kids that started with Kids World back in uh, 2007 and it's so great to see Joseph is now finishing up form 3 which is the equivalent of grade 11 and uh, he's a pretty ambitious guy he's also really hard working one of those kids that shows up and will carry water will help the other kids get stuff ready will help with the whatever chores need to be done I would like to say thank you to everyone who over the years has supported Kids World with either actions or fundraising, donating your time, your energy, your money, your prayers. We would not be where we are today if it wasn't for everything that you've done for us. We wouldn't be able to be serving 350 kids ensuring that they're in school and we wouldn't be able to make sure that kids like Joseph have an opportunity for an amazing future. I can't I can't express enough how grateful we are through whether it's been through flood or through drought whatever it is the people that have supported us have been so generous and I know especially this year in Canada you guys went through so much with what went on in Fort McMurray and job losses it's like there's a never ending battle 
in, in, our, in our lives. But no matter what's going on, you have stepped up and you've been generous and you have blessed us. So thank you so much. Ziko Mokwambiri, God bless you. Mulungu Akudalitsin. Pastor Roy told me to, to let you know how you can be a part of this. You can give either through the church here and just mark uh, as a bridge to Malawi on your envelope, or you can come and see me directly at the table and make a donation and uh, sign up for monthly giving if you want. But above all, I ask for your prayers. Thank you. Thank you for holding us up in prayer. It's been a tough year, but you've, just thank you. Prayer goes beyond anything. We're facing drought right now. We've got 7 million people in the country not getting food on a daily basis because there isn't enough. So if you can pray that God would give us wisdom and provision, that we can help the people in our community. Currently, beyond the 350 kids we're looking after, we're also sponsoring 120 families through this drought. So it's a, it's a big thing. We're next month... We're teaching farming God's way to the whole community off for free. We're not charging anything for the lessons. The uh, place where we learned it charged each person how to learn. We're going to teach them for free. So we're believing for a good harvest this year. So please pray for our, our farming lessons, and please pray for rain for Malawi. God bless you. Thank you for this opportunity. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Jordan. It's good to hear that uh, even through the worst of times, you know, we can be thankful. And uh, there always are blessings to count. And I encourage you, even even in the tough stuff you're going through, to count your blessings. And to, to look, it's easy when you look back, easier when you look back and say, well, really, God really has been faithful, even though right now I don't feel like it. When you look back and see all that God has done, and I can say from personal experience, that's so true. And so don't be discouraged where you are right now, but, but look at what God has done for you and look at his promises of what he wants to do for you in the future. As Jordan mentioned, um, he has a table at the back. There's some items there that you're, you're uh, encouraged to, to buy and the, the money goes towards his ministry. And if you want to give, as he mentioned, you can mark on an envelope. Um, even if you just mark Malawi or bridge to Malawi, we'll know where that's going and we'll forward it. Uh, 100% of it to, to Jordan. Now we don't keep anything for any kind of administration, obviously. And uh, you can give something right now or, or in the coming weeks, months. Uh, we will also forward that as well. Um, as we go, I just, I'll just uh, give you Pastor Roy's traditional uh, blessing as we leave. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. God bless you, and thank you for uh, coming this week. Please uh, join us on Wednesday night for prayer at 730, and uh, we look forward to seeing you here again next week. Thank you.